Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. It's uh, it's kind of a special morning for us, obviously. This is our first Sunday in our, our new place to gather and worship, and so it's extremely exciting. And, and so on this special day, we are going to kind of step back and, and take a, a break from the series we've been in going through the uh, celebrations or the festivals of the Israelites, and we're going to just take a time and really consider what this is about. It's been said over and over as we've been in this process that we are not identified by a building. It's not like we're more of a church today because we have a building that we call our own. It's not, it's, it's not as if we signed on the dotted line to buy this property and became a church that day. We were a church gathering in Cowden. We were a church gathering in a storefront. We were a church gathering in a home. I mean, we've been a church since the very beginning as, as we gathered as God's people. And so, I really want us to consider, I don't want to take away the excitement. I don't want you to feel bad about being excited about where we're at. I don't want to, I don't want to remove that momentum or that, or that desire to see and understand that we're at a new stage of life in our church. But I want us to start and I want us to, to just gain a perspective and be reminded what this is all about. I want us to take advantage of this opportunity, and I want us to recognize the gift that God has given us, the gift that he's given us in this building, and then use it to its fullest potential to lead people to worship, to worship together and lead others to worship him, because that's really what our life here is about. And so, you know, if you think about it, far too many churches, they they come into a place where they they, they get relaxed, they, they get comfortable, and, and many times as, as churches move into a place like this, as they move into a stage of life like this, it, it's easy to begin to lose sight of really what we are always meant to be about. And so we could come into this building, and we could kick back, and we could relax, and, and we did this really in our storefront. We got into that storefront, and we just kind of relaxed in it. And, and we certainly showed up there, and we certainly did things around there, and we and we would you know, we would reach out into the apartments close by, but we didn't really take advantage of what God had given us in that property. And so when we lost it and all of a sudden couldn't use a building for all we would want to use a building for, we we learned some hard lessons. And I want to set a tone for what I want this property to be about, for for what I want our church to be about here. And so today we're going to step back. We're going to, we're going to look in the Gospel of John and we're going to recognize that we've not just been called to gather together in a building. We've been called and sent. And so that's really what we're going to focus on today. If you've got your Bibles, John chapter 20 is where we're going to be at. Uh, it's, the verses are going to be on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible with you today, that you'll still be able to read along. But as you're turning there, let me, let me just set the passage up for you. It's going to be in verse 19 is where we're going to begin reading. Jesus has has been crucified. He's risen from the grave and he's been seen by some people, some women. And the women saw him and, and they ran, told the other disciples. The disciples were questioning. that They, they weren't sure. They weren't certain. They weren't, didn't know what to believe. He, is, he has appeared to two men walking on the road to Emmaus and he has revealed himself to them. And in this passage, Jesus is about to, for the first time, reveal himself to all of his disciples or to those apostles that were, that were following him all along. So John chapter 19, or John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Now I want you to get a, get a picture of what's going on. They, they were scared to death. The man that they had followed for three years had been killed. They didn't know what to think. They didn't know what to do. And here they are now gathering, scared that they're next. They're, they're, they're afraid that now the Jews, they've killed our leader. Now they're coming after us. They're in a house hiding behind locked doors. And Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. Peace? I mean, come on. We're, we're, we're in turmoil. We're scared to death. Jesus says, peace be with you. He says, it goes on, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad they saw the Lord. Their whole perspective changed. Everything that they had been thinking, everything that they had been experiencing, disappeared. They saw the risen Christ. He shows them the, 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 the wounds that he experienced from the cross. He shows them. And they're suddenly moved and they're struck by the reality that Jesus is not dead, but He's alive. What they'd been hearing, the rumors they'd been hearing since sunrise were true. Jesus is alive. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. I, I think that maybe, maybe He wants them to figure this out. He, he wants them to understand. He wants them to experience this peace that comes with knowing Christ. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you hold, withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. You see, we're going to really camp out in verse uh, 21. But let me help you see what Jesus is doing. He is, he is sending his apostles to take on the mission that he was sent for. He is sending them and he is, he is giving them authority and he is giving them power. He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's the power. That There's the promise and the, the certainty that they will succeed because not only are they going on their own, they are going in the power of God. The Holy Spirit is on them. And then He gives them authority. And He says, whoever sins you forgive will be forgiven. Whoever sins you withhold will be withheld or, or, or will, be, will not be forgiven. And, and we, we have to be careful. Because it would seem to see, it would seem to be that as Jesus is saying this, that, that they could walk up to somebody and say, well, you know what? I, I don't like you. I don't like what you're about. I, your, your personality rubs me the wrong way. I'm not going to forgive your sins. No, we, he, they don't have that authority. What, the authority that they have, the, the, the authority that he's bestowing on them is to go and to proclaim the message. And based on the message, based on what he's come to do, it's all caught up in this verse as I have been sent so I'm sending you. Based on what He's come to do, they have authority to proclaim the message. And when someone accepts the message, believes the message, trusts in forgiveness of sins through the death of Jesus Christ, that they can proclaim that that person is forgiven. And when someone rejects that message and rejects Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior sent for mankind, they can call that person unforgiven. Based on this authority, Jesus is, is establishing the mission for which He's given them. But in verse, in, in verse 21, I want you to just hear it again. I want you to think about it. It's so deep. Honestly, as I sat and thought about it, I thought chapters in a book. I, I haven't ever written a book, but I thought, man, I could write a book about this because there's so much depth. And so we've got about five hours here that I'm just going to break out what I'd write in a book. And the people that are usually with me are thinking, oh gosh, he's probably serious. 
<laughs> no, I'm not. But, but quite obviously, I think the very first thing we see in this passage, in this verse, where he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As he says that, I think the most obvious implication is that our God is a sending God. The God who created the world, who put it all into motion, who spun the earth for the first time, who said, let there be light, and the light beamed into existence. That God, that God, the one who has power to do all that he wishes and to bring all of his plans to fruition, that God is a sending God. He cares enough to send for us. Jesus came to us. That, that, oh, the, the implications of that are amazing. He didn't sit back and, and, and wish that we could figure it out. He didn't separate Himself from us and, and, and hope that all things went okay. He didn't say, you know what? I don't care enough to do a thing. He came. He sent His Son to us. And as Jesus was sent, I mean, immediately that, that strikes a question in my mind. It causes me to ask, what, what, what did He come to do? Why, why did Jesus come here? Why is He here? But immediately, I, I hope your mind goes to verses like, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I, I hope you think of the things that Jesus said, but, but I also want you to see something that maybe we don't think of often. You see, Jesus came in obedience. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven. This is Jesus speaking. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus came. I, I mean, you consider this the Son of a Creator God. He was there in the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And He obeyed. He was obedient. He submitted His will to the will of the Father. He came in obedience. And He was obeying God. Why did He come? Why? To obey His Father. What was He doing? He was obeying His Father. He also came in love. Maybe probably the most popular verse in all of the New Testament, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the reality is that God loved us. He sent His Son. And Jesus, with that same love, comes and puts on flesh and dwells among us. Why did He come? Because He obeyed the Father. Because He loved us. Because He loved His Father. You see, it's not just all about us. He, he's here not simply for us, but He came also to bring glory to His Father because He loves His Father. He loves God the Father. He, he, he loves Him with a love that we I don't think we can even comprehend. He loves Him and He desires to bring glory to Him. John 12, 27-28 says, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Jesus came not to gain glory for Himself. He knew He would be glorified. He knew that God would raise Him up. But His purpose was glory to the Father. 
to, to point all of the attention back to the God who sent and who saves. This is, Father, glorify Your name. And one of the few times you see it happen in Scripture, the heavens open up and a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. See, Jesus came to do His Father's will. He came to work on His Father's mission. He came to do all that God had set in motion and intended to be done. Well, what's God's mission? And so often we take and think of mission as an evangelism. Well, I've got to go and I've got to tell a story. I've got to, I've got to make sure that lost people are hearing the story. Sure, that's part of it. But God's mission is so much bigger than that. So much more broad than that. God's mission in our lives doesn't quit the moment we become believers. It's not as if, oh, I got another one. I hope they make it. His mission is much more broad than that. His mission is redemption, saving the lost. But that's not the end of it. You see, this is all working up to something that will blow our minds. He's moving to restoration. It's a process. It's the beginning of a process. Redemption, coming to seek and save the lost is one part. And we need to tell the story. But that's just the beginning. That's where it starts at. Romans 8, we sang actually a couple of songs from there. I wasn't going to share this, but I feel like I need to. Romans 8, 28. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Everything, for every believer, this is our promise. Everything that we experience, good and bad, difficult and easy, they happen and He allows them for our good. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen close, verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. You see, there's this beautiful process that begins. And really, before you even recognize it's happening, He calls you. And then He justifies you. And in that Word, we see not just the moment where He says, you're righteous, you're mine, your sins are no longer held against you. But we recognize that that's the point of process in which He begins to make you holy, that you might reveal the image of His Son. You and I were created to be image bearers of our great God. And in the fall, that's been marred. But in Jesus Christ, He's putting it back together. That's His mission. And the day that it will be brought to fruition, the day that it all comes together, is the day in which Jesus Christ comes back and the blast of trumpet sounds and He flies across the skies and He calls His people to Him. And He makes the, the mortal immortal and He gives us our new bodies, a bodies not ravaged by the, by the pains and, and fruits of sin. That's the day in which our glorification happens. And it's not about raising us up that we might be glorified, but it's about raising us up that we might bring great glory to the God who saved us, changes us, glorifies us. That's His mission. And so we have to understand that that as Jesus came, it wasn't simply just to see people saved. As Jesus came, as Jesus was sent, He came to save, to redeem and to make new, to restore, to redeem and restore all that was broken in the fall. 
And so here we gather as a church hearing these words. And it would be easy to say, well, you know what? I understand that Jesus said that to His apostles. He's in this house with His apostles. And really that probably just applies to them. They were sent, but I don't know if I was. But the truth is, is that in that room was likely women that had been followers of Jesus. There was likely the men who had met Him on the road to Emmaus. That the believers that had been following Him and trusting in Him, those, those that had been with Him closely, certainly His disciples were there, minus one. Thomas wasn't. Thomas didn't see until the next week. This applied to all of them. It, it rested on all of them. And even if you can't see it there, this is, this is the second time Jesus has, has uttered this phrase, as I'm sent, so I send them. The first time was in his high priestly prayer to his father. In John 17, before he goes to the cross, he's praying to his father and he says, as, I, as you sent me, so I send them. And then two verses later, he says, I'm not just asking for those that are with me, but for those that will come after. You see, the reality is, is that we stand on 2,000 years of Christian heritage in which Jesus said to his initial followers, he said, I am sending you. And when people raise up behind you, send them, send them, send them. And so because my parents and their grandparents and their, and their grandparents, and my great, 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 great grandparents, and your great, 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 great grandparents, because people stood in that line and in that history. Today, we can hear these words and recognize that Jesus didn't just say, so I send you to His apostles and to those in the first generation. But those words should rest on us. So He sent you. Each and every one of you. And it's not just about what He came to do as He did that. It's, it's not just about seeing Him come and do this work. We have to understand this. If, if we're going to walk in this way, we have to get it. We have to understand it. Certainly, we need to know what the mission is. It's not just about the mission. It's about the attitude that undergirded and, and was the foundation of the mission. Jesus didn't come in beating people across the, the backs. I mean, there was a point where he came into his temple and, and he didn't like what he saw was going on and he fashioned a whip and he scattered the people. Well, that's how he dealt with the religious, those who stood on their, in their own righteousness and said, we don't need you. But Jesus came with great compassion. Jesus came and, and everywhere he went, Everywhere he went, he made it better. I mean, when, when he went into cities, he would heal sick people. And there's some, some stories in the Bible, some, some uh, moments in the Bible where it says that he healed every sick person in a city. He didn't do that every city he went into. But some he went in, and when he left, there was no one sick. The deaf would hear, the lame would walk, the blind would see. Because he had compassion. He saw them in their physical need. And it hurt him. He felt the weight of it. It saddened him. He, felt, he had compassion on them. And he met them in their physical need. He had an attitude that he wanted to show mercy, not just mercy from judgment, but mercy from relief of the fruits of sin. Jesus was compassionate. And Jesus, not only compassionate, 
But Jesus, remember the word I used so it follows the PowerPoint, was sacrificial. It cost him. It cost him to come here. Maybe you've heard the line of thinking, the challenge to Christianity that says, well, if God's so good, well, why is there so much suffering in the world? And you know what that, you know what that line of thinking negates every time it totally ignores us? That the teaching of Christianity is that not only do we suffer, the God who's above it all entered into our myth and suffered for us, with us. It totally ignores the fact that he didn't have to do a thing. When he, when, when he looked at Adam and Eve and he said, don't eat that fruit. If you eat that fruit, you're going to die. In their disobedience, he owed them nothing. And they got all they deserved. And they were removed from the garden. They were removed from his presence. And the fruits of sin set in. The curse settled on them. And they felt it. And we feel it today. But do not forget this. It cost Jesus. He took on a whole new nature. He suffered. He gave Himself up. He set aside what would be easy and came and did what brought great pain. And the God, that God who created, who called us into existence, that God suffered. Don't ever feel like you're in this alone. Don't feel like you've been ignored. Jesus was sent. And He suffered in it. And it was an attitude of humility. Philippians tells us that, that He made Himself, He humbled Himself, even to the point of death. Death on a cross. He sacrificed. And that, that attitude permeated His coming, His being sent. And He was sent with truth and grace, an attitude of truth and grace. We don't necessarily like this, I don't think, because we really like to have our own way and we like to have our, our own perspectives and our own ideas. But the reality is, is that Jesus is Creator. He was there in the beginning. And when He says something, that's what truth is. I mean, if, if He had determined that the sky would be green, it would be green. If He had determined that 2 plus 2 would equal 5, that's how it would be. That's not how it is. And, and all truth rests in Him. But we don't necessarily always agree with Him. We don't always necessarily like what He's got to say. We don't always necessarily appreciate it because it's hurtful to us at times. It doesn't feel good to hear that I'm depraved. It doesn't feel good to, to know that I'm not a good person. In the depth of who I am, I'm not a good person. Man, I don't like thinking that. Do you? doesn't always feel good to know that I can't do enough to make myself worthy. Because I think I'm pretty strong. I think I've got it figured out. I think at times I know more than anybody else. That's truth, though. It's truth. But you know that truth by itself can be cold and harsh. And that's why He came with grace as well. He came with all the truth and He came with great grace. Uh, an unmerited goodness. In fact, these two things in Jesus Christ, these two things are wrapped up 
and inextricably woven together. Truth without grace is cold and grace without truth is not grace at all because grace without truth doesn't care about your best interest. It's not about your good. In fact, I mean, just consider you're walking around one day and everybody's smiling and making you feel good about yourself and, and you think everything's grand until somebody pulls you aside and says your zipper's unzipped. Boy, it would have been good to know that sooner. Sure would have been good to know that truth a little bit sooner. I wish somebody had cared enough to tell me the truth. But if Jesus cares enough to tell you the truth. You are rotten, despicable, depraved, dead, and dying. But because I've come, because I've been sent, you can have life. Oh man, what a wonderful, beautiful truth filled with great grace. See, that's how he was sent. Sent to do a job undergirded by an attitude of compassion and sacrifice and truth and grace. And so he has sent you to complete his mission, to continue in his mission, to keep doing the work he came to do, walking in the attitude that he came. Coming to a place where you recognize that I have been sent. I have been sent to, to share this message, to give this truth, to bring people to a knowledge of this, but to show them the grace in the midst of it, to, to give of myself, to set aside my own agendas, to give up what I want, to see what God has sent me to do, to see what God would do, to set aside all of my human and fleshly desires that Jesus' message might be proclaimed. To set aside myself to see others experience mercy. You know, just this week, we saw a great example of this. I had no idea it was going to happen. Some of you already know about this. But I got a call. You know, we used to meet at Cowden. And, and uh, while we were there, we did everything we could at times to serve the school. To try and be a, an, an impression there. To, to make that a better place because we were there. And I had no idea how, how they appreciated or what, what impact it had. But Friday afternoon, it's about 4.30. I get a call. And it's the principal at Cowden. Hey, I want to come help and do some work on your building to help you guys be ready for Sunday morning. Well, we're not going to be working. We're taking the day off. We'll be in there in the morning. Would you want to come in the morning? I'm going to be out of town in the morning, but I want to do something to bless you like you guys have blessed us. Just let me in. So I, I'm okay. I'll come and let you in. I'll, I'll let you sweep and mop a floor. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. And she shows up and she's got she's got another teacher with her. And I don't know if you had seen the floors before they came in. I, I, I'm sure that if you've been in the building once or twice, you saw they were just they were dull and gray and nasty. And 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 then there's dust everywhere because we were doing some work. And it just it's inevitable. It's going to get dirty. We had mopped it like five times and it looked worse every time we mopped it. I walked in the next, the, the next day, the next morning, and it was shocking. Because they not only cleaned on the floor, but they'd cleaned bathrooms and they'd gotten their hands dirty for us. That's a demonstration of mercy, of compassion. What a beautiful example. And, and it's a result of us doing all that we did and striving to be the people we were in their presence. We made an impact. We made it better. That's the mission we've been called to do. That's the attitude in which we've been called to walk. 
That's the work He wants us to do. So now, as we go, and that, and that attitude undergirds what we do, we need to recognize that we have been sent just like Christ. We're sent where? Where are we sent? See, this is less about a destination and more about our perception. The reality is, is that every believer in the room will wake up tomorrow morning and go somewhere. And as you go, you've been sent. You see, your workplace is not a place for you to make money and to build a, to build a big bank account. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been sent. And guess what that means? Your employment is your mission field. The neighborhood you live in is not a place for you to run behind your garage door and hide and make sure that no one gets close. I just can't take these people. I'm glad Jesus didn't say that. Your neighborhood, your mission field. The reality is, is that in this building, you may not know anybody in this neighborhood. You may not know any of their needs. You may not know anything about what they struggle with and their sins or how messy it might be to get involved in their lives. But members of the way, especially, and for those that are coming to be a part of our church, you need to recognize that in this building, we have been sent to this community. Our mission field is right there. We're to go with an attitude of compassion, sacrificing of ourselves bringing truth and grace so that they can hear the mission or hear the message. You see, He came in obedience. He came with love. He came to, 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 to live and to die and to rise. He came to do those things. And certainly we can't die a sacrificial death. He did that work. But He gave us the message to proclaim. We have the Word of the cross. And in it comes power. Power to bring life. That's our mission. And in this building, it's great that we can gather here and sing and worship together and be and hear the Scriptures proclaimed and be taught and equipped and prepared. Certainly, it's great that we can do that. But members of the way, hear me. We are wasting this opportunity if we are not approaching this community on mission. Seeking to see them redeem and restore. And I don't want to waste this mission. I don't want to waste this opportunity. I don't want to miss out on what God has for us here. And so that's the attitude that I'm going to ask you to enter into the use of this property, to enter into the, to the presence that we can make in this community. That when, if ever, God decides to move us out of this place, that someone doesn't walk up and say, I didn't even know the church had closed. I had no idea that they weren't meeting here anymore. See, I, I hope... I hope that our presence will be so prevalent and so powerful. And I'm praying for this, that should we ever have to close these doors to do something different, that the community would feel it and recognize the difference that we have made. For some of us, that means we're going to have to quit spending so much time relaxing and entertaining ourselves. For some of us, that means that we're going to have to quit spending so much money on stuff that doesn't matter. 
for some of us. And really, honestly, I want to hear, I want you to hear this. I want you to understand why we're doing this. The whole Christianity Explored thing, the reason we're doing it is because the very first ministry that this church will take on in this building it is an extension of our mission to see people, to let people hear this message of salvation that gives us the hope we have. And so, for some of you, it means that you're going to have to give up some of the things that you do on Sunday night that you can make sure that that mission happens well. For some of you, for all of you that are members of the way, that means you should be talking to people and encouraging them to be a part. For all of us. It's something we should all be involved in. The reality is, for some of you, also it means that you need to plan to go to Africa with us next year when we go. For some of you, it means that you're going to have to set aside money to help others go to Africa. For some of you, it's going to take a whole change of mindset because you've lived your life for your mission and for your agenda and not God's. And for some of you, especially those who are visiting here today, you're hearing this mission and you're hearing this call to mission and you're recognizing that you need to be a part of a mission of the mission of God. And I'm going to encourage you to consider being a member of this church and helping us see this mission fulfilled. Join us in the work that God has given us to do. But in a room this size, it's likely that there's somebody here that has never trusted Jesus Christ. And for you, the very first step to being a part of his mission is being saved, being redeemed, and brought into the process of restoration. You need to trust Christ today. You need to recognize that you are not good enough. You cannot be good enough. You are fallen and depraved. But Jesus Christ loved you enough that he died on the cross, giving you the opportunity for salvation. And all you have to do is believe that he, the Son of God, came and sacrificed himself for you. And trust in his death and, and recognize that the resurrection proves beyond a shadow of a doubt, that He is our Savior and gives us the hope of eternal life because our Savior is no longer dead, but He is risen. And that tomb was empty. Trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, You are good. Gracious. We are so humble that You would do so much for us. God, I pray in this time that, Father, you would be glorified. That people would recognize your beauty and your majesty. That they would recognize that you were a God who cared enough to send your Son. That they would see the coming of your Son as the, as the impetus for all that they would now do. Because as you sent him, now we are being sent. God, would you give us this, this mindset, work this out in us, challenge us with it. Father, I pray for those that are here today that they're struggling with areas of their life that they just can't seem to let go of. I, I pray that you would emphasize the cross and the price you paid for them. That they are no longer their, their own, but they have been bought at a price. Father, I, I would ask that you would reveal to the hearts of those who are, who are in this room, who are visiting with us, who have never met us, who don't know anything about us. God, would you show them that they're to be a part of this mission that you've given us to do in this, in this community here in Springfield. Would you, Father... Open the hearts of those that might not be believers today. That they may trust in you in this moment. That you might in this moment bring them from death to life. Father, we love you and we thank you. We're grateful for all you've done. We are grateful for this tool, this building that we can use as a tool to go as we've been sent. 
It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.